if you take nothing away from this discussion today, this is the only point I want you to take away is that managing money and investing your capital, you have to do that for the environment that we're in today. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with investment manager, Lance Roberts. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Lance, in which he explains why he foresees an approaching meltdown moment for the markets that will shatter the complacency of today's investors, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective Lance and our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. Oh, and if you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe to this channel by clicking the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. It really does help us out when you do that. And now here's part two of our interview with investment manager, Lance Roberts. I do want to talk about the different stories that the bond market and the stock market are telling us. You know, Stock market prices shooting the moon. Here's one quick chart of yours just showing the deviation of stock prices from their historic moving averages. They've almost never been this far above their moving averages, yet another sign of excessive speculation in the system. Bond yields, on the other hand, uh, continue to creep lower, and that's generally a sign that the bond market is, uh, bond investors are concerned about the future prospects of the economy. Um, I've talked on previous programs with some of our experts who say when bonds and stocks differ, it's most often the bonds that get proven right. But what's your take on the different stories we're hearing from those two markets? Well, you kind of just stole my line, which is, you know, the bond market is more often right than not, um, especially in the longer term outlook. I mean, if we go back and look throughout history, I've got correlation charts on this, um, you know, looking at, you know, 10 year rates versus um, GDP growth, inflation, wages. And there's very high correlations between all these over time. Now, not necessarily over a quarter or two, but when you start looking at two years, three year averages, five year averages, there's a very high correlation between rates and what's happening in the actual economy. And it makes complete sense. Um, this is also why I've argued previously, a lot of people say, well, bonds are extremely overvalued, right? There's a massive bond bubble in bonds. There's really not. And the reason is bonds cannot really be overvalued. And then before, again, before you shut off the video, let me explain. <laughs> so, you know, the reason is, is that, you know, I'm going to loan you money, right? So I'm, I'm going to issue debt and you're going to buy it from me. So you're, you're going to give me money. So when you're going to loan me money with a bond, you only get one thing. Now, the beautiful thing about bonds is, is when they mature, I get all my money back, right? So that's the great thing about a bond versus an equity. I'm totally at risk in terms of my principal. But when I'm buying, when I'm loaning money to a bond, to, to, to a bond investor, um, they are look, I know I've got to set my rate and that rate of return is my, my coupon. And that coupon has to take in a variety of things. And so if I'm looking at, say, I'm going to loan you money for 10 years, my, my coupon has to factor in interest rate risk. Are interest rates going to go up here in the future? Inflation risk. Is inflation going to be higher or lower than it is today? Um, default risk. Are you a good guy to loan money to or not? Um, uh, opportunity risk. Am I better off investing that money somewhere else than loaning it to you? And this is the, uh, as we talked about earlier, the Fed has distorted all of these metrics. You know, there's no way you should be loaning money for 30 years to anybody on a house at 3% interest. I mean, you're not even going to keep up with inflation over that, but this is the distortion we've created in the financial markets because of Fed interventions. But 
this is why bonds over time are accurate because the bond market is always having to, to set off the reality of the economy over the next four or five years for the debt that they're issuing. And they've got to make sure that coupon is going to be somewhere relative to what they expect. So what's 10-year interest rates telling me at 1.2%? It's telling me that over the next two to three years, GDP growth in this economy is going to drop back down to somewhere between one and a half and 2%. You know, when we were at 3% growth in 2018, we said that interest rates are going to go to zero. Why? Because interest rates were already telling us where the trend was going. And in March of 2020, we had half a percent. We almost got to zero. So we were in the ballpark. Um, but that's what bonds tell us over time. And the bonds factor in what happens economically. Stocks are psychology of investors. And they're not, at this point, even factoring in fundamentals. If, if stocks worked on fundamentals, they wouldn't be trading at current levels where they are now. As an example, 14% of the companies in the S&P 500 trade at more than 10 times price to sales. That's the highest level on record. Um, price to sales ratio for the entire S&P is at three. Um, that should not exist in any world that we live in, but it's because of what the Fed has done that we've distorted the underlying fundamental uh, structures of valuations and markets, price discovery. And, but the bond market is still primarily functioning on that reality that my, my coupon has to reflect my future risk of repayment because that's all I've got coming back in. All right, so let's kind of tie this all up here and get to the, with all this backdrop, what is your outlook, Lance? Where do you think things are going from here? Sounds like you, you know, think the bond market's likely more correct. And so it sounds like you see that lower economic growth is in our future. We have a stock market that we just talked about is crazily valued right now, or at least a very extremely valued. And in theory, not that fundamentals matter anymore, but in theory, the stock market's supposed to be pricing future earnings. So if earnings growth is going down, then you know earnings expectations should be dampening. So we, we have a market that's expecting better than perfect. And we have a bond market that's saying uh, things are going to get tighter going forward. What do you think? Well, so first of all, whenever in this video, whenever my name pops up, I want you to put three rockets next to the end of my name. Okay, so okay. to the moon, got <laughs> to it. The moon. Uh, look, I want to be. I wanted to say this earlier, and this is a great kind of a segue for, or kind of a great tie-up point for this. And and this is something that is is crucially important. If you take nothing away from this discussion today, this is the only point I want you to take away: is that managing money and investing your capital, you have to do that for the environment that we're in today. I get regular emails from individuals saying, well, I've been in cash since 2009 and I just can't justify getting in the markets. Well, you've done more damage to yourself by not investing in an overvalued market than by actually suffering a crash along the way. So the point is, is that we do have to invest capital and we do have to manage money for returns because we have goals that we have to reach. We only have so much time. Our clients are you know, people that have retirement goals. And so we have to take advantage of the markets and the opportunity that we have to invest that capital and grow it. It doesn't mean though that I have to do it with unbridled risk. So we can, and, and the reason of talking about these things and doing the analysis and talking about the bond market, talking about the stock market and valuations, it's not meant to be bearish. I'm not saying the markets are going to crash tomorrow. I'm not saying they're going to crash next week or even next month. The point is, is to understand what those risks are that are out there that could come along and take away 30, 40, 50% of my capital in the course of a couple of months, like we saw back in March of 2020. Investors never had a chance 
in three weeks, the market declined 35%. They never had a chance to get out of the market to help pave off some of that loss. And then they, unfortunately, because of all liquidity, they got their money back very quickly. The next, next bear market likely will not be nearly as lucky. So spending four or five years getting back to even, that's four or five years of your retirement time horizon that you don't get back. That's four or five years of returns of 6% a year that you've got to try to make up at the end now. And that expands your, your time horizon. So the point of focusing on capital risk is understanding how to manage risk within your portfolio. So as we are, so here's to answer your question, what's my outlook now? My outlook is for the rest of this year, we're likely going to continue to have a, a market that is bullishly biased. So we want to be invested. I want to do that, though, with some hedges in my portfolio. So we've been adding really ever since about February of this year, we've been building bond exposure in our portfolio. We had gotten to very short duration back in March of 2020. We've been expanding that duration in our bond portfolio over the last few months in particular to start to capture this decline in rates that we had expected to come. And so now this decline in rates is coming. We're starting to see weaker economic growth. We're going to continue to expand our risk hedges in our portfolio. And on the equity side of our portfolio, I, we, we often call ourselves fully invested bears, right? Because we talk all this bearish stuff, but we're fully invested in our equity side of our ledger. But we're doing that with companies that have the ability to create real substantial earnings growth and most importantly, revenue growth at the top line. And if we do that, it creates a margin of safety in our portfolio that we can withstand a market downturn. Our hedges will help shield off any initial downturn and give us an opportunity to back out of our equity exposure as needed. So I'm very bullish on the markets short term. I'm very bearish on the markets long term. And it's just a function of understanding the risk is going to come home to roost at some point down the road. Got it. And great detail. Thanks for sharing that, Lance. I also want to underscore what you underscored, which is the importance of risk management in, a, in an era like this, yeah. um, where even if you're very confident about what the end goal might be, uh, you have to be very sensitive to playing the game that's being played right now because you can get wiped out. Uh, if you just try to take a set it and forget it position right here. Um, so we've had a number of uh, previous and recent guest experts on this program, Lance, that if I kind of combine all of their outlooks together, I get to one that we sort of discussed with Michael Pento last week, which is um, sort of deflation, sorry, a disinflation first, that then ends ultimately in some sort of violent and probably short-term period of deflation. You can think of that as a market crash. Yep. Uh, and then the expectation is that our central planners will uh, adopt policies that are so highly inflationary, they make that anything that's been done today look like child's play. Uh, I'm just curious, do you sort of share that general outlook? Do you have a different uh, one in mind you think is more probable? You know, the, the, it's, it's a, look, I like Michael Pinto a lot. I think he's a really smart guy, and I certainly don't disagree with his opinion at all. Um, but my problem is, is I really don't know. Here's, here, here's my thought. If you look at what's been going on in our economy, right? So just over the last couple of years, right? We've had riots. We've had demands for social justice. We've had demands for equality. Look, people don't do those type of things if they're functionally and economically happy. Right. If, if, if exactly. their life is OK and, and everything's fine and they're paying bills, they're not out in the streets rioting. 
And even though they're writing for a cause, the underlying driver of that is this wealth inequality that has been rising because of what the Fed's been doing primarily over the course of the last 10 years, in particular, last 20 years, most importantly. At some point, I have to think, and this is where I'm, I'm not disagreeing with Michael, but you know, I have to think that at some point here that the Fed steps back and says, look, this really isn't working the way that we intended. And maybe some sanity comes in and we try something different. Oh, like letting recessions happen. You know, a real recession would cleanse the system, reduce the excess debt. Yes, look, I know it would be painful. It would be terrible for people. People would lose their homes that couldn't afford their homes to start with. But a lot of good things come out of this. You know, we, we talk every year about the, the, the massive wildfires that we have in California. Everybody's scratching their head. Why do we have all these wildfires? Because California adopted very poor quality forest management and this idea of trying to be ecologically sound. Well, this has created massive amounts of tinder on the, on, the, on the floor of the forest. So when a lightning strike occurs, it creates these massive fires because the kindling is there waiting to happen. A recession cleanses all that kindling out and it makes the forest healthier longer term. And so if we would allow these recessions to occur and at some point some sanity comes in and we say, hey, you know what, Bank of America, JP Morgan, you're out of business. Sorry, we're going to break you up. You're now going to be not one fifth of the banking system. You're now going to be part of the entire banking system. And JP Morgan would be, you know, one eighth of the entire banking system. And that would actually be a healthier thing. It would create, uh, it would create better consumer confidence. It would create more comp competition in the banking sector. It would reduce the, uh, the amount of input that these banks have in the financial system and, and the wealth disparity that's created by it. So, you know, these things occur and at some point, maybe we'll get to the point that some logic comes in. And, I'm, and again, that's, as I say this, I, I really in the back of my mind go, I'm not hopeful. But, you know, you never know. Um, you know, you would think that at some point people would think better. But if they don't, and I, I don't disagree with Michael, I think the next thing that happens, we're going to have a 30, 40 percent decline. We're going to do UBI. We're going to do government interventions. We're going to send checks to households. We'll basically move the U.S. economy into a very socialist type structure. And you're gonna and and you're gonna disincentivize what made this country great, which was innovation and work ethic, and you're gonna completely disincentivize that. And the 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 thing that people don't understand about socialism is it sounds great on the surface, right? It's free everything, but it expands the wealth inequality and it makes everybody equal at the poorest level of the income scale. And it's not the environment that we want, but it's an, unfortunately, I think it's gonna be an environment that we get. And maybe at that point, there's a demand for change, but um, you know, that's, a, that's a broad brush for way down the road. Yeah, you know, uh, there are two ways that people can change. You can change by insight, which is saying, look, I can see the repercussions of my actions today and I wanna avoid that, so let me change behavior today. And then there's change by pain, which is yeah. out. It just hurts too much to continue doing what I've been doing. <laughs> and uh, while you're preaching to the choir to me for all the reasons why I would love for the Fed and or our politicians to get religion today and to take, you know, take our lumps now before they're going to be even worse down the road. Uh, and I would love to be proved wrong on this. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I suspect it's going to be more the latter, uh, that, that the system's going to have to break materially for enough people. Uh, for us to start really stomaching. I mean, because no politician, no sitting politician today 
this is just my opinion, um, but is going to run on a platform of austerity. Um, I think I think the pain is is too nuclear at this point in time because we've let these imbalances grow so much yeah. that no self-interested politician, and I believe sadly they're all self-interested, uh, is ever going to do that. But boy, would I love to be wrong, and I'd love to have you back on here, Lance, <laughs> to dig into this further because the social implications of everything that's going on here uh, is a whole other important element of the story that I don't think gets discussed nearly enough, and you're a great guy to do that with. But we're out of time here. Yeah. So first off, um, let me just conclude by thanking you so much for giving such a phenomenal and very specific and, and, and very detailed discussion here. Um, and, uh, and asking you for people that have been inspired by this conversation who want to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Uh, best place to go is our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. And then when you have me back, we'll actually talk about my run for president. So we'll talk about my platform, <laughs> on, which I'll never get elected for, by the way, because I'll try to fix the system. So, <laughs> but no, seriously, go by realinvestmentadvice.com. You know, all of our stuff is there, our, our YouTube channel and newsletters and all that. So anything you need, happy to be there. Great. And you're on YouTube, uh, Twitter too. What's your Twitter handle? At uh, Lance Roberts, pretty easy to find. Okay, great. We'll put those URLs up on the screen when we do the editing here. Um, Lance, again, can't thank you so much. Uh, such a pleasure. Thanks for taking so much time out of your busy day to meet yep. with us and really hope to have you back on here soon. Anytime. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, got yet just another phenomenal discussion. Uh, Lance Roberts, uh, just such a such a great articulator of the data. Um, now, as I do every week, I'm going to talk with the lead partners of New Harbor Financial very quickly about uh, their response to what Lance just said, as well as what the markets have been doing over the past week. Mike and John, great to see you guys. John, why don't I hand the football to you first here this time? What did you think about what Lance said? A lot of it seems to be pretty copacetic with how you guys view the world. Yeah, big big picture it certainly is, and and you know Lance Lance is you know one of those prolific um, chart uh, producers like like you noted, um, you know we follow him him on on uh, Twitter and other forums and and always has a really good command on the data. Obviously, the data is 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 very telling of a bigger picture, which uh, in the short term can be clouded by all kinds of psychological and, and wacky stuff in market. So you know. Uh, we really value some of the work that he does that really jives with a lot of the research and stuff that we we, we come across uh, in, in broader circles. Um, yeah, no, I, I think um, you know, one, one of the things that he hit upon was kind of the need for clients to, you know, kind of manage in re relation to their goals. Um, we couldn't agree more. I think we have a maybe a decidedly different, you know, translation of what that means. Um, you know, because, you know, there is this notion that because someone needs return that they're going to get it and that that return is going to be kept. And that's perhaps where we, we differ a little bit, you know, whereas perhaps, you know, they might be leaning more towards a, a fully invested, but with with caution. Sometimes we, we, we think and markets have, have historically shown sometimes the caution at, at, uh, is, is the first and most important measure, because frankly, there have been episodes in market history where, you know, 15, 20 years even of market progress have been wiped out in a very short period of time. And usually, uh, as much as we want to use the gas can analogy with catalyst, um, you know, usually market tops don't even coincide with a notable catalyst. If you look, for example, the market top of, of October of 2009, there was nothing particularly um, catalytic about uh, the news or, or or the events of, of those days that created that top that particular day. Yeah, there was there was some rumblings about a housing bubble and things like that, but it really didn't start to hit headlines until probably 
you know, nine months later or something like that, eight months later. And that's where market was already down about 20% from its high. And then it really went into free fall. And at that point, the psychology that gets folks to be invested at, at bubble tops cripples them because they kind of knew they should have been out and, and uh, you know, they, they tricked themselves into thinking that, well, I can't sell now because we're already down 20%. I'll wait for a bounce. And that bounce never comes once the, the, the train starts to derail. So yeah, we're, we're very harmonious and in agreement with this bigger picture. We have a, you know, much more, uh, um, kind of defensive uh, uh, kind of feeling about where folks should be today because, man, there's no way, no better way to screw up a financial plan than to chase returns when they're not likely to be had and, you know, having to then th therefore dig out of a very significant hole. Um, and, and hedging doesn't come free. That in itself is a cost. We, we are the first to, to admit. So, you know, I'll just pause there. Sure. And, and just want to say that you, you know that firsthand because you guys employ hedges. You, 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 you actually know how much they cost when you're adding them to the portfolio. Correct? Oh, ab absolutely. There is no free lunch in life and certainly not in investing. Uh, hedging, especially when risks are elevated, is a costly proposition. And sometimes the best form of insurance is just kind of not to play the game with a good, good portion of your, your important wealth. Okay. So talking about um, great chartists um, and talking about, uh, you know, potential long periods of, uh, you know, a, a drought of returns in the market. Um, Mike, uh, right before we started filming here, you shared a couple of charts with me from another great chartist, John Hussman. Um, do you want to walk through those charts just real quick? Yes, absolutely, Adam. Thank you. Um, you know, what I'd like to talk about is valuation. You know, we, we use a lot of words and talk about Fed policy and other central banks. And, you know, the policies are nothing short of deranged at this point, honestly. And we're, we're, we're single-handedly in the largest bubble, I think, that we'll probably ever see. Um, I sent a couple charts over to you, and I just sent another one to you as well that I'll, I'll, I'll talk uh, briefly about. But, you know, John Hussman does some really good work. We mentioned his name a lot of different times and want to give him due credit for putting out some really good, consistent stuff even in the midst of uh, you know constant criticism. There's not many people left that are calling out this bubble for what it is at this point. Most have thrown in the towel. So he's, he's we respect him a lot. But you know the, the first chart is uh, a valuation measure that's a very statistically reliable measure. When you're, when you're talking about valuation, I think Lance talked earlier in the presentation about a price to earnings ratio of 25, which is very, very overvalued. Now that's a one year price earnings ratio. And, and that's historically high at 25. And, and these one year price earnings ratios are notoriously bad at major turns. Because, you know, it's not likely at the peak of an economic cycle that we're going to continue to earn the same amount in the S&P if we go through a pullback. You know, I mean, the, 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 the price earnings ratio, for instance, at the low in 2009, was some ridiculously high number because because earnings had collapsed, but you know they were going to rebound. So that the one year price earnings ratio is not a good indicator of the valuation of the market. But you know, John Hussman measures things like correlation to actual returns in the market over the following 10 or 12 years. So that first chart looks at non-financial market capitalization divided by corporate gross value added. So kind of some fancy words, but it's the single most highly correlated measure of market valuation to subsequent returns. And he does a scatter plot just after that. I sent the second chart that shows this very metric and then uh, plotted against actual S&P 
returns over the following 12 years. And there's hundreds of data points here. Now this model is, is again, has an R squared higher than anything else. And it, and it shows presently that we can expect returns over the next 12 years of maybe uh, you know right around minus 6% annualized. And we don't know what path that's gonna take, whether it's a sudden crash or a sideways move with, and then a, then a slow drip down, we just don't know. But I think what we can say is that the valuation, particularly this valuation measure does predict future returns in a highly statistical reliable way. And then that model is showing us the very worst returns in all of US history, presently measuring around minus 6% annualized over the next 12 years. So, you know, look, we've been very humbled. We don't know when the turn is. We have chosen not to stay fully invested or not to stay heavily invested because we really don't think that there's any way that we're going to be able to time the turn. The most likely thing on the turn is going to be a very rapid drop of 15, 20 or 25 percent, maybe in a day, maybe in a matter of days. I'll be very surprised if, if many people can get out from, from under that. We do know how to use options and hedge, but even with those tools, um, we think the best thing is to have a very light exposure. And I, I guess I'd also like to mention, um, you know, the, the Buffett indicator too. I sent a chart on that as well. I mean, the, 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 which is basically the market value of the entire stock market divided by GDP. We're at 230 it's just an absolute, you know, it's just an outlier. It's many, many standard deviations above the norm, something we've never seen before and may never see again. If you take the S&P 500 and plot it on a monthly basis, we are eight months now outside of the top trend line. You know, there's this megaphone pattern and we have this throwover or I get, it's basically a, an excursion outside the trend. It's a major blow off top eight months now on, with literally no pullbacks. And the, and the last thing that I'd mention is, is the bullishness and euphoria that we're seeing in this market. It all comes together and, and paints a picture of this perfect storm where, where nobody thinks this market can go down. And the only thing that we talk about is the Fed and how they won't ever let prices go down. If you take a look at the chart that I also sent that shows the S&P, which is kind of like the red blue line on top compared to the Rydex bull bear ratio. Sven Henrik put this out today in a post and we'll give him due credit for that. But the yellow line is the bull bear ratio going back to the late 90s. We've never had a more vertical market coupled with a more over bullish retail trader mindset. Retail is all in here. No matter what anyone says, everybody is all in. And so we are on high alert for a turn. Um, very concerning right now, and we're playing full on defense. All right, thanks for walking through all that, Mike. Um, you just used the term all in. That's uh, the title of a, uh, a piece today that came out from Charles Hugh Smith, who's a, a big uh, friend of the program here at Wealthion, um, where he made a similar observation that, uh, that, that the retail investor uh, has shown up to the party and is now fully invested. And when you're at the, that's sort of a classic late stage market sign here where, uh, it's sort of like the if, if you're sitting at a poker table and you don't know who the patsy is, then you're the patsy. Um, usually it's the retail investor who shows up at the end of, of an excessive asset price run up. And the insiders are very busy selling their positions to the new arrival 
the less educated player at the table, which is generally the retail investor. And then of course they, you know, the system's left to then correct. And it's that retail investor who takes the, 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 the hardest losses as markets correct. Um, so, all right, folks, um, we're at the end of our time here. Uh, wonderful discussion, both with Lance and guys. Uh, thanks for adding your thoughts to this. I think if you kind of add everything up, um, Lance seemed to be very like-minded with a lot of our previous guests, uh, just looking at the preponderance of data. You know, like he says, he's not a bear uh, by philosophy. Uh, he's just looking at the data and the preponderance of data says that all the intervention that the government's been doing has created this highly unstable system. And even the, uh, the tranquility that we're seeing in terms of volatility, um, he talked about the, um, the paradox of, of instability, which is that these stable periods actually then create the subsequent instable periods that are coming. And as we look at all of the factors that we have, uh, the um, indicators of excess in the system, they are all blinking, or many of them are blinking uh, very, very brightly for us now. And so the question really is, how do you want to avoid the losses? And um, at this point in time, um, you know, do you want to try to stay while the music's still playing and try to, you know, capture some of the gains remaining before a potential correction? Hey, maybe, and if folks want to do that, you know, there are, there are ways to go do that. But um, a lot of people might think that that is, you know, picking up nickels in front of the steamroller and that the prudent thing to do is to try to get your money positioned so that uh, you are minimizing loss of capital. Uh, and uh, that if you are, you know, having long positions in the market, that you're putting intelligent and affordable hedges against them. So uh, as we wrap things up here, I want to remind folks that uh, if you have a financial advisor who understands those risks that we've talked about here with Lance and Mike and John, uh, and has those risk mitigating uh, strategies to put in place uh, to protect your wealth from that, fantastic. Honestly, that investor is worth their weight in gold. You should stick with them. Uh, but if you don't have one or are having trouble finding one, Mike and John and their team at New Harbor Financial, they offer free, no strings attached, no commitments, uh, consultations with folks like you watching this who are just trying to figure out, all right, how do I prevent myself from being collateral damage uh, if and when uh, the progression that we talked about with Lance actually comes to play. Um, if you're interested in that, stick around at the end of this video. We tell you how to sign up for one of those free consultations, and it only takes a couple of seconds to do so. We're wrapping things up here. Um, if you have not yet done so, if you want to see more great interviews like this with folks like Lance and other big name guests, please do me a favor, just subscribe to this channel, click the little bell icon right next to it. Uh, it really does make a big difference in the names we're able to attract onto this program. The more subscribers we have, the bigger name guests are interested in coming on and talking with us. Uh, last, if you want to see who our guests are going to be coming up on upcoming uh, programs here on this channel, just follow me at at Menlo Bear on Twitter. Uh, I listen to every suggestion that folks give me. And um, uh, if you have any suggestions or feedback about the program, love to hear it there. And uh, as we say every week, Mike and John, um, whatever happens next, we will be following here week after week, trying to make sense of it for folks. And uh, whatever happens in the next week, we will be here in seven days to try to make sense of it for folks. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Thank you, Adam. We surely will be back. Thank you. Glad to be here and appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for watching, folks. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. 
The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA but for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.